Welcome to the Fitness Devil episode, I think it's 65, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we got a special guest today. We got Brett Contreras, he's better known as the Glute Guy on Instagram, he's got a huge following. Um, he's also the owner of the Glute Lab, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to bring him on, was not just to talk about glutes, he's a PhD in exercise science, he knows a lot about movement and lifting and glutes, but as a business owner, you would assume that things are really easy for a guy with that much popularity and, and that big of a following, and, and that's not necessarily the case, and Brett goes into great detail about the hardships of opening up a business in a place like San Diego, but I think there's a lot of information that is very relevant to a lot of our listeners. Uh, another thing that we we really talk about in Hammer Home is this idea of language in our training and, and how as coaches we can really impact the success or the hardships endured by our clients just by the use of language and just making sure that people understand that they aren't broken and using language that surrounds that idea. And he, he basically has a really good talk about this and he, he's done it a few times, but he goes into pretty good detail in this podcast and I think it's something you should stick around for. So if you're one of Brett's listeners, you know what, subscribe, rate us. If you're one of our listeners, share it. But enjoy, this one's really, really good. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we got Brett Contreras. Been working on getting Brett on for a while, matched up with his schedule. And uh, if you haven't heard of the Glute Guy, as he's better known. Uh, he's got a PhD in sports science and contributes heavily to the body research, not just on glutes, but exercise physiology in general in our industry. He created the Hip Thruster, owns his gym, the Glute Lab in San Diego, travels to speak at conferences. I've seen him twice in person myself. And uh, you've written for more fitness publications than I can probably list off here. So uh, you've re completely rewritten how we understand and train glutes. So uh, Brett, it's a real honor to bring you on here. So what have you been up to recently? So last year, uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Um, last year, I'm 42 years old. Uh, when I was 41, I decided to move out to San Diego. So I'd lived in Phoenix for my whole life uh, and then moved to San Diego. I got so sick of the heat. And the older I got, the, the harder it was to deal with this summer heat. So, um, so San Diego has been so nice because it's so so much cooler the, the weather's amazing here but i built the gym out here um, podcasting from glute lab um, i hired several employees and it's been uh just a lot different like my life in phoenix was very easy mm -hmm. i trained people out of my garage gym i had uh i think i had hired an assistant uh, like a year before i left but I, she worked a couple hours a day for me, and now I have like six employees, um, a gym, and then a lot of my I've expanded my my businesses a lot. So got a lot of money going around. It's like <laughs> sometimes I'm like, whoa, look at my bank account. And then I've had days where I had, you know, twelve checks I had to write and one hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of bills in one day, and you're like, it's crazy. Yeah, so. Definitely a lot greater now. Uh, it's a lot different. It's reward having employees is very rewarding. Um, like I, I'm never been a a boss before, and so you know I'm responsible for people's livelihood, and I I look at them like you know I don't have kids, so I can try to educate them and bring them up and help them become the best that they can be. Um, but it's just very different. My life is so much different than it was a year ago, and uh, I'm, I'm juggling a lot more things. You, you don't have kids, but you got Spencer, so you get to hang out with Spencer all the time. Spencer Zdolski, yeah. because he's been on our podcast twice, so he's been you're hanging out there with Sophie all the time, so he's been on the podcast. And Sam Spinelli ducks in there sometimes, so he's a buddy of ours. Your whole too. crew, man. We got your whole crew. Yeah. So it's yeah. really fun. Spencer, Spencer's uh, moved out here just a few months ago, and yeah, it's great. He's always... Always looking for a, a taco partner. Yeah, he's crazy about his tacos. Well, let's actually, the one thing we did want to touch on, and you, you got to it a little bit, but I don't know if it was on your your Facebook or an article, but basically 
how your gym turned out to be super fucking expensive, way more than you thought. And basically you pushed through and were successful. And I think one of the things you talked about was like the hard work and the hours you put in, the sacrifices you made, but work ethic got you through. So the one thing we want, we have a bunch of fit pros and people listening that want to get something out of it. What did you learn about yourself through this experience? And what advice would you share with young professionals who aren't putting in the time and effort, but expect those big things to happen so quickly? Oh, this is a great question. So, um, and I've been, I've been in this situation a few times in my life and I can tell you there's no stress like financial stress where you're wondering if you're going to go bankrupt <laughs> you know, and, and, and you're like, great, I have $5,000 in my account and somehow I have to come up with $65,000 by the end of the month. And, uh, and so when I moved out here, I wasn't necessarily going to start a gym. I, my house has a studio in it. Like a, it's like 750 square feet. And I thought, oh, I could just have that be my studio. Yep. But I'm so obsessed with equipment. that, that <laughs> I was like, if I find a good gym, then I'll, I'll do that. There's a couple of powerlifting gyms out here. There's a bunch of commercial gyms. But I went to every one of them. And I, just for one reason or another, I didn't like any of the gyms. Um, ironically, a crunch opened up like just a few doors down from from Glute Lab, and I like it, but it wasn't there when I made the decision to start up Glute Lab. Um, but I like just nice, clean places that are open, nice lighting, and then the people, you know, if, um, the people who attend the gym matter, and how crowded it is and everything, and I, I realized when I first moved here, you can see on my Instagram, I was like shoulder tapping people, hey, could you film this set? And they're like, uh, <laughs> and you never know how they're going to film it, if they're going to know what they're doing, if they're going to you like get half of your body and the rest be the, the ceiling or so. Um, and it's awkward too, especially if you're doing like a hip thrust, you don't want to be like, Hey dude, <laughs> so, I'm like, God, this is actually not good for my business. I need to have my own gym. So, uh, so in Phoenix, I got lucky just so much different here in California, but, and I'm pretty sure it's California, <laughs> but, like when I opened my gym in Phoenix, it was smooth sailing. Everything, I didn't deal with any hiccups. I remember signing the, the lease. I got the business license. I got everything like all within the same time period. Opened up shop. No hiccups at all. It was the easiest process. So I completely underestimated here when I signed the lease. My landlord failed three inspections. And it was his fault, but uh, I can't open up. Yeah. So finally I went and said, you, you know, this is, this is on you, not me, but what do you want to do? Start off your, your business relationship with your landlord or with a lawsuit? So um, I lost it, but here's the other thing. I had told my trainers, quit your jobs and come work for me. Oh, shit. I promised them I'd be paying them so we can't open. I'm not just losing out on the, 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 the lease payment. I'm losing out on the money that I'm paying them. Now they're helping me, but they're trainers. Yeah. So we had some yeah. growing pains to, to – to, so I'm trying to have them help me with my different online businesses, and that's not their complete skill set at that time. So it's just a, a waste of uh, – uh, it's a waste of space because we have this, this space here not being used, and it was a waste of resources and a big waste of money. And I got down to like $5,000 in my bank account, and I remember being so stressed out. So – but, you know, uh, what's this saying? Uh drastic means, call, call for drastic measures or whatever. So that's when I thought up a couple new business streams and, you know, those panned out. And eventually my gym opened. We got members in here. The gym actually doesn't make me a lot of money. It's my other revenue streams that make me a lot of money, my online stuff. But now I'm doing really well. But what I will tell you is, in California, it's uh, they don't think of the, uh, the the business owners and the entrepreneurs. It's it's the, all the things out here. Like you'd fail an inspection, they'd say, "Here's three things you have to fix." You fix those three things, then you get a new inspector who comes in and goes, "Okay, here's three new things." And then you're like, "Why can't I get the same inspector to sign off on it?" It's it's a it's like a racketeering job out here with the, the things they do. I just got something in the mail the other day that said, "You owe five thousand dollars," but it's four thousand and a thousand dollar fine, and I'm like, "What is this <laughs> from some employee development department or something?" So I asked my accountant. And she's like, "You know what, Brett? You don't owe any money." I called him up. I don't even know where they came up with this figure. It's just it, it, 
I don't know. I, I don't know why the people out here deal with it. Jesus. Um, I was going to say, if for anyone who doesn't actually follow your Instagram feed, it's actually really funny because uh, you, you'll show all kinds of the people that come in there, tag in there. It's really cool. Lots of exercises. But there's always every day there's like just you just staring at the screen <laughs> and it has like the movie that's on the background. You list off. You're watching a movie, whatever soundtrack you're listening to. And then all the exercises you did. So, guys, this shit's really entertaining. So, I, and of course, there's usually like pointing out the gray chest hair too, which you're yeah. covering up today in the shirt. So, so I don't know when I started doing that. I actually can't remember. But um, I, when I, when I got this gym, I wanted to have three TVs, um, and I have three TVs in here, and I'll have three different movies on for like <laughs> a game, a news station, or a movie, or and I, and I, but I play music during my workout. So I'm not watching, I'm not like watching the movie, but it's usually a movie I've seen before. I just love, in fact, when I train now and I, I, I'm at a, a, another gym, I miss having the TVs there. It's just, I love having the, I love having the gym to myself, the three movies, playing whatever music I want, and then free reign of all the equipment. That's what's so hard when I go to, um, I just went to Crunch the other day to use their cable, uh, their, um, their cable column. I have a cable column here, but I like there's more for like cable crossovers. So I did like bench press and incline press to hand down to crunch and finish <laughs> off some cable crossovers. And I'm waiting, 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 waiting. And about 10 minutes goes by and I'm just waiting there politely. And this guy, he's pissed off that I'm waiting for the equipment. So he's like, can I help you? And I go, yeah, I'm just waiting for the equipment. And he's like, well, I'm using it. And I'm like, he's been there for 10 minutes already. So I go, how many more sets do you have? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, like, is it three sets, six sets, ten sets? He goes, I don't know. I trained to fatigue. Like, what does that even mean? Train to fatigue <laughs> on a million sets? Train till you can't pick yourself up off the floor? So I go, I was so annoyed. I go, look, this is the way it works. You're supposed to be following an actual program that was predetermined. You're supposed <laughs> to know how many sets you're going to do. It's usually like, three or four, it's never 10. And when you see somebody waiting for the equipment, you try to hurry or say, do you want to work in? And I, I just, it's, it annoys the hell out of me because I've been training in gyms since I was 15 years old. So for 27 years, I've been training at commercial gyms. And there was just this code that we had back in the day. When I was 15, we had a code. You, you worked in with each other, you tried to hurry. Someone would wait and you'd be like, hey dude, I got three sets, I'll try to hurry. You were cognizant about you know, you were you were empathetic about wait, you know this person's waiting. I'm interfering with their workout, and you never took up two or three pieces of equipment. Nowadays, you'll be at gyms and you'll go to use them. They'll be like, "I'm using that," and then they're using something else, and you're like, "Well, using this or that," and they're like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm supersetting or I'm doing a triset." And I'm like, "What? I want to go." Actually, I'm using everything right now. I'm doing a monster set with every piece of equipment at gym. Did they have movies back in the day, or is that a you thing? On um, Movies on, on in like, the old school gyms. gyms. I, I have to happen somewhere. Gyms for nearly twenty years, so no, they never had movies on. I don't think, Brett. You ever seen that? So that's a Brett thing. No, that's a Brett thing. <laughs> that's a Brett thing. I did. I, 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 I'm almost at a point where I can't train at commercial gyms because it's so frustrating to me the lack of knowledge of gym etiquette. I made this post years ago on my blog, the Fifty Commandments of Commercial Gym Etiquette. But uh, just people just don't. It's just it, it boils down to common sense. But just people don't have much of that anymore. Where do you think that was lost? Because like I, I agree, but it wasn't. It wasn't always like that. Even when I was younger, where, where did we go wrong? <laughs> I just think it's the the mindset of the, the the newer generation. It's there's a lot of pros with the way their mindsets are, and a lot of cons with it too. But there's a lot of entitled. Uh, prima donnas out there and also I, I don't know if gyms that gym memberships have become a lot more common and people it attracts um, less serious people that don't understand that we should all be cooperating and it's not about all about you it's about let's all work together to make this a good experience but you mean I don't I don't have double standards you'll never see me at a commercial gym hogging a piece of equipment for 40 minutes you know I train uh, get in and get out and I see someone waiting I'm like yeah work in yeah work, work in and they'll be like no you're using a lot more weight than me and I'm like I'll take the weight off it won't be a problem how much do you want you know yeah um, I guess like 
you don't see things like Arnold and all his buddies working out together, the old school bodybuilders. And one of the questions I really wanted to get your thoughts on is obviously we're living in a different world at a different time. And, you know, you, a lot of industries are being disrupted. I always think of Uber and taxis or uh, Apple, iTunes and the music industry. And like your work on glutes disrupted a lot of the established training ideas um, in the bodybuilding community that were around for a really long time. You challenged a lot of firmly entrenched beliefs and you got a lot of pushback from that. How did you push through that resistance and criticism to show the industry a better way to train? How'd you handle that? Oh my God, Andrew, you don't know the half of it. Like <laughs> I, 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 you'll never meet anyone as passionate about me, um, probably about strength training in general, but about, especially about like my methods with glute training. And I think most people would have given up along the way after they saw, you know, I, I, I read every single article on T nation from 1998 to like when I wrote my first article in 2009, I had so much reverence for all these guys who helped me be a better coach and who taught me things. I remember going to a perform better seminar and I met a bunch of the guys and I was like t trying to teach them about the hip thrust. And one guy's like, you don't turn an activation exercise into a strength exercise. And I'm like, well, I measured the activation of doing <laughs> 135 pounds, 225, 315, your activation keeps going up. So if you want to talk activation and then I talked to not like I talked to half the guys there and they were, instantly dismissive of my methods having never even tried it and i realized half of these guys aren't even serious lifters like if you're a serious lifter i i don't care who you are andrew if you're like dude i got this new thing i've been doing for my biceps i that's how i learn i'm like what is it i want to know tell me and i'll go try it like you can't how many exercises did you think would suck and they're awesome or vice versa how many times have you Hell, the first time I tried single leg RDLs, I hated them. I had to get good at them until I liked them. Pistol squats, I couldn't do one. I had to work at it. Like, you have to. I might have tried to thrust along the way and load it up to. I start out with 185 pounds back in the day and work my way up gradually, always making sure to feel it in my glutes. You see, some of these guys. They'll look at a guy like me and go, oh, if he can do this, so can I. I'm going to load up 500 pounds, try it for the first time. Their chest comes up, they're hyperextending, not not locking out, and conclude that it's a bad exercise. And it's, that would be the same thing as if you put 500 pounds on the bar for deadlifts and round back it on the way up and conclude it's bad for your back. You know, it's they don't take – they're not – a lot of these guys, they're not um, – they're not – aficionados of strength training they're not connoisseurs they're not um, they're not good at it <laughs> don't, don't, yeah I, I just I, I mean i learned first of all half of these guys i looked up to they're they're jokes they're not even serious lifters they're not serious about their they're they're more about the appearance and uh it, and that was what the, the most eye-opening thing for me i thought when i start out it would be just I'm going to present this to the world. People are going to do it. They're going to feel it working their glutes. They're going to love it. I'm going to point out the EMG evidence, and they're going to go, wow, this is a great lift. We're going to incorporate it. And almost every popular male in the industry bashed it, having never tried it. And I was doing it with all my clients, and they loved it. And my clients were saying, I feel this in the glutes more than any other exercise. And they're saying, my gains, I've never, you know, my glutes are growing far more than when I used before I ever did these. And then I have these so-called experts um, bashing the methods and talking down about them, and I knew they'd never even tried them. So I would read all these criticisms of it, how dangerous it is, and it's so funny because I, I need to post this. I, I made a video. <laughs> the reason why I don't post it is it makes me squeamish. Um, <laughs> so I have this video, and it's like, so you got these guys out there saying that hip thrusts are dangerous. And Andrew and Dean, I've been training pe people with the hip thrust since 2006. So 12 full years, and I haven't had a single injury. Not one injury. That's insane. And yeah, we're, a, sense. we're a glute lab here. We have six different hip thrust stations. I got booty builder right there, glute builder, hip thruster, Smith machine, glute drive, scorcher. And we do, so we don't give people just hip thrust. They do six types of hip thrust here. They actually probably do 15 types of hip thrust here. Not a single injury from anyone here at glute lab my gym has had zero injuries in uh 10 months of being in business 
which is crazy. I mean, we've had probably a thousand people in here and no injuries. And so, I, and they will all tell you the hip thrust is safest lift when you do it correctly. Yeah. So yeah. I have this video I made where it's like, <laughs> you be the judge. I'm like, okay, you be the judge. I'm going to show you some videos. You be the judge. Here's what happens when you go a little too heavy oh. Oh. on squats. And it's like, you know, you've seen the videos of like Ed Cohn just knee caving in, falls down to the ground, he just tears his knee. Um, there's like five squat videos. And then deadlift videos where people are pulling their hamstring or tearing their, you can see the, the biceps tendon scroll up in the video, you know? Um, and then there's like five bench press videos, but the one in the one video, the guy actually died. He, he lifted up, <laughs> bounces off his chest and that guy actually died. <laughs> and, um, and one where the guy goes to racket and then it's like, you know, across his neck, strangling him and he's trying to get out. And that's actually happened to me before. It's the scary thing in the world. You wonder, is this going to be it? Is someone going to find me in my garage with a bar choking me? And, um, and then, and then the worst is these two leg press clips. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? I I showed one of these to uh, a whole bunch of my clients where the lady is sitting in it. And of course, her knees hyperextend and oh, the holds her legs completely inverted backwards. Yeah. It's grotesque. If you want to go- Google this shit and watch it, you're going to get sick. It's gross. It's so bad. It's 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 the most. Uh, that's where you actually want to throw up. Like the two leg press ones oh, where the that's the worst. The the worst. And you're like, that's like a. Oh. How are they going to surgically repair that? And then um, never the same. Yeah. And then I show Olympic lifts. All these <laughs> Olympic lifting um, disasters. And then I show a hip thrust, and I go, and I, I have 900 pounds on the bar. That's too much for me. I can't do it. I come up six inches off the ground or, like, eight inches or whatever, and then I, I can't get it, and then I set the weight back down. And then I go, that's what happens when you go too heavy in a hip thrust. So you be the judge. And I'm like, the hip thrust is safer than any squat, than any deadlift, than any single leg exercise where you can lose your balance, than any leg press, than any Olympic lift. So don't make stuff up and say it's dangerous. That's just anyone who says that. I'm, I look at what their motives are. Why would you bash? And they don't bash any other exercise. It's only the hip thrust. And what I concluded is anytime you hear someone bash the hip thrust, it's purely jealousy. It's all jealousy. It's just a dude who's so jealous that someone else thought up an exercise that got popular. Well, it's a lot of the old school uh, bodybuilding community. I, I remember there's like a bunch of Brazilian coaches were all criticizing your your approach too, and they've got a different. They get their injecting asses down there for the most part. I think it's a whole different approach of building ass. But it makes me think of like what Lane Norton dealt with with uh, flexible dieting. Is he's really pushing that to get that out there? And you're getting pushback from the industry establishment that have written books on built careers around this philosophy and ideology, and you're coming along and completely just rewriting it so it's in a sense attacking their identity as a coach and really, some of them, the bodybuilding the power lifters the and it's funny power lifters hated you, <laughs> yeah. you i said power lifters hated you for a while oh my god for a while i was because I, I started giving i and here's what's funny when power lifters start hating me i started I competed in three contests. I mean, I pulled 601 in competition. I pulled 620 pounds on my own. Um, but, you know, I'm six foot four. I'm not like. Yeah. I never thought I'd be straight. This is why I think people can. I, I, I feel like um, I never had an ego. Like, I never thought I'd be. I didn't grow up strong and athletic. So, but when, when me and my friends started lifting weights, um, I could not bench the barbell and my friends were actually amazed. They're like, wait, wait, what are you, you're doing something wrong. And I just couldn't, I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I just, I'm not strong enough. They're like, this isn't possible. I couldn't lift the bar off my chest. I got stapled by the barbell. <laughs> I was the weakest, skinniest guy. I had no muscle. My grandma would go like this and put her hand around my arm and she'd shake her head. That was until I was like 16. <laughs> like I had no muscle and I was so skinny and so weak. So I never thought I'd ever amount to anything. So the fact that I'm actually semi-strong now, I'm I'm very pleased with how things turned out. And so I don't have this ego, and I I'm proud of my powerlifting days. Like I never amounted to much, but I got I got in there and did it. And that you should be respected by that. The fact that powerlifters would bash me because I can't squat a lot, <laughs> bench a lot, 
is so pathetic. They never act like that at an actual meet. It's online jealousy. It's jealousy because if they saw me at a meet and they didn't know who I was, they'd be like, good for you, bro. Good to have you in here. You know, hope to see you around. Everyone's supportive at the actual meet, but it's online. It's like he's grown, grown men into little babies. And so I started promoting powerlifting and getting bikini competitors to do powerlifting contests. I'm helping your sport, you stupid idiots. I'm helping your sport. And you're jealous. That's why powerlifting will never make it big. I agree. It's like you, take, you take these guys, and I'm only talking about probably the like the 10% who are the most vocal. Because yeah. Yeah. 90% of the powerlifters are cool dudes. They're normal. But a certain percentage, they're, they're bullies. They're the guys who learn to bully people and the guys who take a shit ton of steroids and turn into <laughs> egotistical pricks and, and you know – those those guys, I don't. I you're you're a dis, you do a disservice to the sport because powerlifting is awesome, but some of the characters in there make it suck. And I, I I remember getting bashed by all these guys, saying I have no right talking about powerlifting when it's like I can. <laughs> I know more. I've published articles about the squat, the deadlift, the bench press. Like I, I study the biomechanics. I have my PhD. I've measured the muscle activation. I've looked at. The, the the forces, the straight curve, the you name it. I've I've studied the hell out of this. That's it fascinates me. I have every right to talk about powerlifting. And if you have a problem with it, let's debate. They never no one ever challenged me to debate or accepted a debate. No one ever <laughs> wanted to talk science. It's like let's let's bash this person to my crowd and watch my little my little circle bash him back and oh, do you guys feel good? Do you guys feel good bullying people? Yeah. Let's take this into one of the other questions that I, I really wanted to hear your thoughts on. Uh, we know that our corner of the industry is kind of small compared to the mainstream. And we know their industry likes to squabble over minor bullshit uh, while the mainstream audience listens to whichever Kardashian or whatever Gwyneth Paltrow is saying this week on her website. Um, I've mentioned this a few times. I've certainly, uh, last time I saw Sohi in person, she was here. I talked to Sohi, and I think Sohi's a good example of someone who can really break through the mainstream and has that mainstream appeal. You certainly have. You have nearly half a million followers on your Instagram. I feel like Mark Fisher is a really great example of someone who can break through. So I've often said I really hope that more of our industry can actually crack through there. But how does our industry need to start thinking to reach and help the masses and stop arguing over bullshit? Oh, that's a great question, and my answer is going to be surprising. So when you're talking about our community and all the drama and everything, that's actually declined a little bit because it was Facebook. Before the algorithms changed in Facebook, Andrew, how good was our community? Like, we all knew what everyone was doing, and we were all on Facebook every day. We had the community. Like, there's this guy right now who's, um, God, he's copying everything I do on Instagram. <laughs> And he never gives me credit. He's pretty much stolen my identity. And there's no consequences. Like, back in the day on Facebook, he would have been torn apart. I mean, everyone would have just ripped into shreds and everyone would have known him for being a fraud. And now he, he, like, think about the days of plagiarism. Like, now you have people, like, who built careers off of taking other people's memes and just putting their own logo on it. That's, like, identity theft almost. Like, you're a... It's worse than plagiarism. There's no consequences anymore. We don't have that tight-knit community. Once the Facebook algorithms change, that's the way our industry policed itself. And also, that's how we kept the marketers under control. Someone come out with a BS article, and a guy like me or Brad Schoenfeld or James Krieger or any of these people could write a response, and you leave the algorithms out of it and let the people decide what's important, and these articles got shared, and that's how I got popular, by Facebook staying out of the way and letting my articles get popular on their own accord. And I would write an article, and I would tackle the, 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 the controversial topics. I would take on some marketer who was making BS claims, and people loved it. And I'd get you know, 2,500 likes and 500 shares on those articles. This was six years ago. And then the algorithms changed, and... Now you post an article and it gets like 200 likes and five shares. It's not worth my time. I don't even go on Facebook anymore. It's not worth my time. The only way you get traction is if you sponsor posts. 
Yeah. And so how many scientists can sponsor posts? How many of them even know how to do that? How many of them? And so it's so frustrating because Facebook did what they had to do to maximize their revenue. But I was so disappointed with over the last several years of Facebook because they – I watched the movie Social Network back in the day. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I had a bigger vision of it being this – this life-changing, like, you know, world-changing thing, and it did for a while, and then they catered to the money, and, yeah, and you could say that's their responsibility to, max, to maximize the revenue to the shareholders, but it used to be such a beautiful thing. And with that, without that, now it's the, it's the marketers that are just have their, it's a field day for marketers. Yeah. And they sponsor these posts, and they reach millions of people, and so you can, you can say whatever the hell you want, and I'm seeing this rise in sense. things that you don't you don't look at experiments. You're not looking at studies to prove something. You're looking at what makes sense to the average consumer. And I could sit there and I could fool anyone if I wanted to with my science knowledge. You guys could too if you decided I'm going to worship money over everything, do whatever I have to do to get the to, to get people to to get the sale. Um, you could say, look at look at this product, look at this method. Um, this is gonna do this X, Y, Z to your physiology. It's gonna, it's gonna result in crazy. And, and so, you could do that with anyone. Anyone could do that, and it's, it's just really sad because we can't fight it. So, how do we combat the masses? I don't. I don't know how to combat the masses. Um, they are. The marketers are back on top. For a while, the scientists had the edge. Yeah. But to get that back, that's that's the way we, we can fix this situation. Is we have to have a policing system where our stuff gets as popular as the marketers' stuff, even if they're sponsoring ads. Our stuff's good. The, the people who take the time to combat these monsters and speak the truth, they are actually can write an article and it can go viral like their stuff. That, that used to be the case. Well, no, I, I don't know what else I could add to that. I just, I, I really do feel that there are certain people who have the appeal and they're great in front of others that getting you guys, and you're certainly one of them who's done well with it, in front of more people in different mediums and hopefully the good quality content information gets in front of an everyday audience and it just simply has more of an appeal than a lot of this like marketed stuff. So I'm seeing people do well with it. A lot of the memes I've mentioned, Jordan Syatt's another really good example of someone who's done well with that. And again, combating people who have 10 million followers on Instagram isn't easy, but, uh, well, and they play the game. For it, it's so. almost like, and we talked about this with Spencer. It's some of these marketers we'll call them or people who put in the money or the, the sales tactics, they almost you almost have to stoop down their their level, and none of us are willing to do it because we like what we do too much to like want to do that shit. Because we just like lifting, or we like training, or we like whatever the fuck we're into, and we're not into marketing that much. It almost sucks because no one wants to do all that shit. Like it feels so horrible to try to do their tactics. Like it's the worst. I don't even. That's like I remember talking to all these guys back then. Like split testing. I'm like split test. We test two newsletters and see which one does better. I'm like. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Yeah. I, I'm like, I, like what you just said. I like lifting. I like, I'm, I'm okay writing a blog, but when it gets into that, I'm. Tell me out. I'm just not gonna go that route. I'm not. I don't that much to make more money to like basically manipulate my list of subscribe newsletter subscribers. It's like, you know, I just don't do it. And you know, for that matter, I don't do affiliate stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember I did it a few times back in the day, and I always felt sleazy, like, yeah. But that's just what I did, and now it's not as popular. Well, I think it's that part is dying out again, and nothing against affiliate marketing, but like I, I, there was like that group of people that did it, and it's slowly becoming not a thing. So I, I'm sure there's just other avenues for people to use. I'm sure that are more popular, but it, I am seeing a very huge decline in that because everyone was pushing the same stuff. It seemed like. No, that was how it was, and. Yeah. and and by the way, if you wanted to get popular back in the day, you needed to be in the circle. And so every, these guys would come out with a product every year, and you'd be expected to promote it, you know. And 
it was just so silly, but that's what we all did back then. But I always hated. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Now when people tell <laughs> me, "Hey, dude, I'm coming out with a product. Like, no. You, you know, you want to be an affiliate?" I'm always like, "Sorry, I don't do any affiliate stuff anymore." You know, it's funny because I even uh, had someone just emailed me asking me to if I wanted their um, their product, and I, I they said. I said, sure, go ahead and send me one. And if they would have sent me one, I would have promoted on my Instagram. But they said, okay, you have to come to LA and do a education, like a two-hour educational thing. <laughs> give you one, but you have to promise you're going to post about it. Like, do they even understand how busy I am and how much I? Like, you would have. To yeah, First of all, I wouldn't do that for any fee. If you said, but I'll give you a million dollars to promote something you don't like, I wouldn't even think about it. Would not even think about it, and I always these people that do put a product, um, like what do you call it, like the the, the product placement stuff. Yeah. Like, the, a lot of the people in our industry will do a selfie with like this little yeah. sub corner. I, I don't do that stuff. Um, never would, but maybe if I had if I was shredded year round, I would have people approaching me. But I'm like, man, my what is a post work to you? So I had this company send me this machine that I was excited about. It's got a lot of research to support it. In fact, I, I read all the research, and I even talked about it in a seminar. And they sent me one, and it worked well. I liked it. In fact, it works a little too well. I hurt my knee doing it because it works so well. It's like so hard uh, reversing out of the bottom of a squat. But it's six thousand dollars, and it should be five hundred dollars or maybe eight hundred. And I just kept picturing my my followers going, Brett. I just picture like one post after another. Brett, I look up to you, and you know, I I went and checked out this product that you recommended, and it's six grand. I'd rather have a car. <laughs> like, why did you promote this? It's so expensive. So I just told the people, I can't do it. I'm going to send it back. And I sent it. I shipped it back to him. I just couldn't do it. And all I had to do was, you know, make a post. And I got it for free. But it's just not worth it to me. And in the end, people can tell if you make always pressuring them. Pressure. It's like that friend that's manipulative. You know, always makes you get a bad sense of what's going on. You eventually kick that friend to the curb. You know. Uh, that speaks to integrity. Uh, and Dean, I actually, I think that ties in really well with. Uh, your next question you're going to ask. Well, it, it kind of goes back to when we were in Kansas City. I think when you spoke, you kind of referred to avoiding using language that describes people as damaged or dysfunctional or broken. Can you? Would you elaborate on this, especially for like a lot of the trainers and, and just general fitness buffs that like want to learn about this shit? Why? Why is it? Why do you think like that in terms of how you describe language to people and, and using it in your training? So I realized this is such, you know, I started writing about this like three years ago. And then when blogging was still popular, you know, and then I, I tried again two years ago and then last year. And then then I spoke about it in Fitness Summit was the first time I ever talked about it. And now I've given that same talk a few times and I always have um, people come up to me afterwards going, man, that was mind blowing. I need to make I need to film this talk and put it out there. For people to listen to it's probably the most important thing in my career right now that i'm not doing and i'm so passionate about this i, I almost that's why i can't i could never finish a blog on it i'm too passionate about it i can't synthesize all my thoughts into one but interestingly just over the last few years i've seen journal journal articles emerge saying words matter physical therapy physical therapists and stuff because this is so important and it's global it needs to be this needs to be a message that we're all we need to the strength coaches need to take the take the reins back basically you look at uh and i've got a lot of followers that are physical therapists chiropractors athletic trainers uh manual therapists uh people involved in rehabilitation and i don't want to offend them i don't want to turn them off but the ones that follow me they're usually in the science. They're not the people I'm talking about. But uh, there's a lot of shoddy science out there, a lot of pseudoscience out there with all of these modalities. You talk to, think about this. Andrew, your back's hurting. All right? Now, Dean, how, 
How many times in the last decade have you heard, tweaked your back? <laughs> 20. 20. Stop counting. Stop counting. I think I've done it once. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty resilient for a 40-year-old built like I am. I'm, I'm an idiot. So. Reasonably in, I'm reasonably indestructible. Guido, on the other hand, football. My, my early 20s better. was just full of ri- ridiculousness. So. Well, I, I mean, I do. I mean, if you're a serious lifter, a couple times a year you're going to tweak oh, yeah. it. And it's just the way the cookie crumbles. And so um, that was a bad analogy for what I'm going to use. Say, <laughs> like, you don't want to think of a cookie crumbling. But anyway, um, it, 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 you know what? It boils down to three things. Your form, your program design. And you know, and I want to preface this by saying I read – my first journal article I ever published was To Crunch or Not to Crunch. I read 400 journal articles on – disc biomechanics and physiology and i've stayed i've stayed on top of the research since then this was like eight years ago so i know what i'm talking about with spinal biomechanics but but uh but like there's just there's more to it than just all right we always okay you hurt yourself in the gym it's your form it's your program design let's say you you decide i'm going to start deadlifting heavy three days a week you're going to hurt yourself. Like, no, no, not most people can't tolerate that, especially if you're PRing and going up. You're inevitably, inevitably going to snap. You look at all the pop- popular powerlifting programs, they always involve more squatting volume and frequency than deadlifting. We've just figured that out along the way. So, a lot of times it's just program design, form, like, and mainly the psychology of these lifts. Andrew, have you ever gone into the gym going, Oh my God! I am dead set on setting a seated row PR today. <laughs> Not particularly. He's a bad example. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> and Dean, Dean, have you ever been yeah. like, you know, yeah. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to set a PR on concentration curls and rope tricep extensions. I, <laughs> I can feel it. I got it today. No, I haven't. No one does that. No. The only lifts you do that for are squats and deadlifts and bench and so the lifts you care about the most. Especially when you're like, I can feel it. I did everything right. I ate big this weekend. I rested up. I slept a lot. I'm going to go for something big today. I'm going to go for 315 for 10 reps. Or I'm going to go for 405 for 5 or whatever. I'm going to try and hit 515. Um, And then you don't have it that day. You have those days where you did everything right and you don't have it. You also have days where you did everything wrong and you set a PR. It's just the body's weird. Um, But it's one of those days where you're – you, you have it in your mind, you want to set a PR, you warm up, you're like, oh shit, 405 feels heavy, but you keep at it, and you lie to yourself, and you go for it anyway, and a lot of times, you can get it by just brute force, oh, you're yeah. just like, I'm going to get this lift, and you let your form slide a little bit, and you just muscle it up, you didn't get a real PR, it's a brute force PR, you're really not stronger, you just let your form slide, and you just didn't give a shit, and you got it, and then the next week comes around, you try that again, it's, you're going to snap something up. And so a lot of times it's our stubbornness, and that's what I like about bodybuilders. Bodybuilders, their weight is secondary. They're going for the feel. They're feeling the tension in the muscles. They're trying to, you know, they use the mind-muscle connection more. They're, you know, if they don't have it one particular day, they'll lighten the load, but they'll still get a good workout. So, and I do love powerlifting, but you got to, if you're a bodybuilder, you can use powerlifting techniques, but you can't, you can like a powerlifter. Okay. That being said, so you go to a chiropractor, a manual therapist, a physical therapist, you say, my back, I tweak my back. No one ever says, okay, uh, what's your training program like? They don't know enough about it. They can't go, no. oh, you were deadlifting twice a week and squatting twice a week and doing strongman training, and you were also trying to do this. Look, I just analyzed your program, and you're just not recovering enough. You know, I, mean, I want you to take two weeks off of anything involving your, your back, no squatting, no deadlifting, no this. You're going to do single leg exercise only and some posture chain training for high reps, and your back's going to And then after two weeks, I want you doing this instead. No one, no one has ever done that. Instead, what they do is, yo, they, all, they try to find some dysfunction. And what is dysfunction? Uh, like, they try to find some dysfunction. They go, okay, and if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you're just, you have your hammer and you're looking for a nail. 
So they'll look at you, Andrew, and they'll go, hmm, look at you. Uh, let me let me test you. Let me test your flexibility in all your different directions or your mobility. Let me let me look at your the, the, the development of these muscles. Let me look at your movement patterns when you do this. And someone's going to find something. They're going to go, oh, you have anterior pelvic tilt or you have a leg length discrepancy here or you have weak glute. Your glutes don't activate. You have a weak core. They say all these things. And my no one I don't think anyone understands what an epidemic this is. We have like 200 people coming into the glute lab month in and month out. I also have thousands of people online that I'm interacting with with my training programs and my program design and my my booty by Brett, my my and just interacting every single person comes to you saying just letting you know just warning you my activity well, I'm just warning you I have a weak core. But my multifidus doesn't fire. I, my, I have a leg discrepancy. I have pelvic torsion. I have this is out of whack. I have, I have a, a herniated disc. I, I have a, a disc that's out of place. I, my SI joint out of place. And you're like, huh? Who told you this? How did this person determine you have a weak core? He could just tell. Did he give you any core tests? Did he give you a side plank and a pallet press and a a front plank? Did he give? Have you try any straight leg sit-ups or hanging leg raises? No, he could just tell. You can't just tell. You have to put them through a series of tests. Nobody can just tell. How did he tell that your glutes don't activate? Oh, he could just tell. Did he palpate you during a series of exercises? No, he just knows that they don't turn on. He doesn't know shit. He's making it up. And they know that you could tell anyone this and they'll believe it. I could take any of my clients and go, hey, I'm just letting you know, you have gluteomnesia. And they'd all believe it. And they don't... <laughs> <laughs> it's just they don't lift and they're not they're sedentary and they're weak they're weakened and atrophied their glutes work just fine um you just have to you know you you wake them up and you strengthen them through strength training all they need is strength and conditioning and to start off low level and progress up they're not dysfunctional they don't i mean what you could just take any beginner and tell him he's all dysfunctional they're not and this is my whole point is words matter and when you tell someone this, this influences their ability to develop pain later yeah. on. So if you have it in your head, I have weak glutes or I have small glutes or um, I have anterior pelvic tilt. I have this. I have that. Then you can play. It's called a nocebo. When you're, I take a year or two or three down the road, but it's always in the back of your mind. And all of a sudden you can manifest that back pain. And I think a lot of pain, you know, the, the studies on, on tissue damage and pain do not show high correlations. It's a lot of it is what our, the, what our brain makes sense of it all based on its beliefs and, and thoughts it's and like, history and things like that. It's like inception. It's like the movie. Yeah. It's just, you like movies. It's like inception. <laughs> well, to further yeah. your point, Dean, <laughs> you've heard about phantom limb pain. So someone gets their arm chopped off and, or amputated and they have pain in their hand they don't even have a hand so that proves you don't even need a body to experience pain and on the converse someone can get shot and not even know it if during the right circumstances so it just goes to show you a lot of it is our relationship uh, our beliefs about things and so what i do and my approach i think of myself as uh, look i always say this i am a strength and conditioning coach i strengthen people's minds bodies and spirits I have no time for labeling people. That doesn't serve my good, my 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 prerogative. My goal is to get you mentally strong, physically strong, emotionally strong, and labeling you has no time and place. There's no time and place for labeling people like that. So because labels stick. So if they say to me, Brett, I have anterior pelvic tilt, I always look at them and I go, I don't know. You look pretty normal to me. I don't know how to measure it. Do you do I get like a what two markers do I use? And do I have like a goniometer? Am I supposed to? But uh, let's say you have seven degrees of anterior pelvic tilt. That's normal. Um, but either way, let's say you have some anterior pelvic tilt. So does Usain Bolt. Have you ever seen that guy? He's the fastest guy in the world. He has massive lumbar extension, anterior pelvic tilt. Sprinters tend to have anterior pelvic tilt, and they're the fastest people in the world. So I kind of wish I had some anterior pelvic tilt. And then they're like, is this guy an idiot or <laughs> – He's not going like, to. I know this guy. He's not going to have all, any excuses. There's all kinds of examples in pro sports of 
people who would end up being dysfunctional if you want to qualify it that way. LeBron Look James and his players forearm, right? They're hit. They're over. They're uh, main forearm. You look at any baseball pitcher's uh, shoulder, right? There's deformational changes that happen at a young age that is just how they adapt to actually throw harder fastballs. There's tons of these examples, just like your sprinter one. And what you're saying is that's functional for them. In fact, I would argue you shouldn't go take 50 swings right-handed and then take 50 swings left-handed. You're not going to maximize your coordination with your right-handed swing. You should have, if you play sports, you can and you can and will have asymmetry. So people say, "One, I have, I feel one glute working more than the rat, the other." And I say, "Well, that's normal. You spent your whole life jumping off one leg, and kicking with one leg. You kick with your right leg and jumped out, and planted off your left, so your left hip extensor gets stronger from that position. Your right hip flexor. That's normal. Quit thinking that that's a weird, that you're dysfunctional, and start thinking that's a normal functional adaptation to living." So I, I don't let them have any excuses, and they quickly learn that I'm not going to allow for it. Now, I will figure out the best exercises for them and the best variations and the best methods, and I will keep getting them stronger and stronger and stronger, and they'll have no nocebo effects along the way. They'll have a healthy relationship with their bodies and their confidence and their strength, and they will find things they're really good at. And when they say, I struggle with squatting, I'll go, well, yeah, look at you. You're tall, or you're, you have, like, freakishly long legs and this short torso of course you're going to be but i'll tell the women like yeah my girls who are squatting a ton would kill to have your legs so don't worry about it or like <laughs> I'll, I'll just try to make light of the situation make them feel good inside and then um you just keep complimenting them complimenting them just cut them off a little too light with a little too easy of a variation and they go and they're and they're like wow i'm sorry i started you up too easy I didn't realize you were more advanced than I thought. Wow, you're really good at this. You're strong. You compliment them. They go home, and they're bragging to their spouse. They're like, hey, what's up? Guess, who's so Guess who has glutes of steel? And they tell <laughs> their spouse. And they're they love, they form a good relationship with the gym. And with personal training, resistance training, you get them to get their butts in the gym on their days off when you're not training them. You get them to have the confidence. You compliment their form. You compliment their effort. And instead of the complete opposite model as this debilitating labeling model, you're actually not labeling them and you're just empowering. It's like the debilitating model versus the empowering model. So you will never hear me tell someone they have, you know, scapular dysfunction or or, or you know, anterior pelvic tilt or, or weak core or weak glute or like gluteal amnesia or anything like that. I just don't go there. In 20 years of personal training, 22 years, I have never said that to a single client. I just don't go there. And it's not hurting me and my results. If anything, it helps me. So I don't know where along the way every strength coach wanted to be a physical therapist and every physical therapist wanted to be a strength coach. Let them do their job. Let us do our job. But you should learn from us. We fix people better than you do if you're labeling people. And if you're labeling them because you think you need their, them to think negatively about themselves for them to come back, yeah. then you're you're doing a disservice to your profession. Because I can tell you that a lot of these people, if you go to, if you go to a physical therapist, he's going to give you corrective exercise. You can have the same problem. When you go to five specialists, the physical therapist will give you corrective exercise. The chiropractor will, will adjust, you give you adjustments. The manual therapist will tell you of tight muscles and stretch you and massage you. The uh, it goes on and on and on. The person who's a specialist in cupping or scraping or using these in implements or instruments and uh, you know this who's, who's certified this laser thing is going to use that. And they're all going to tell you the same thing. This is the secret. This is the key to getting you well. Well, you know what else works really well? Not using any of that stuff. Just telling them what you're going through is normal. We're going to get you through it. Time heals time heals the wounds. We're going to get you to lay off of this activity and focus on the things you can do painfully instead. Use a graded approach and get, get you to do things a little bit differently. To, so, so, so you get that. You eliminate the sensitization to the pain. And then your body be, becomes to accept it. Okay, movement is good. I can go through this stuff. And then you feel the confidence. And it all works hand in hand and all of a sudden you've got a strong resilient person that understands a couple times a day it's normal to have 
Everybody is unique. I'm going to have strong muscles and weaker muscles and strong lifts and weak, weaker lifts. That's normal. We're all normal under this bell curve. And, and if you're not labeling, you're not debilitating them, you're empowering them, you're giving them confidence. And it's just a much better approach. I've never used that, that model in my entire career, and, it's, and I'm seeing a lot of success. I think a lot of people need to get it trying to razzle and dazzle their clients by labeling them and telling them some prognosis that's a lot of times doesn't even exist or you're flat out wrong. Yeah, they just I love this because your presentation, it really struck me. It, it's not that I ever caught myself use that kind of language consistently, but it certainly made me think about it in a whole new light. And I'm always very careful to avoid language that, that robs someone of their power and makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. Or not even empower someone and you're negatively affecting them. I believe in empowering people. So that ties sort of ties in with the last question we wanted to ask before I run out of time, but you posted two separate quotes on your Instagram. So the first one is quote, what builds muscle best in a surplus maintains muscle best in a deficit. And then strength training is fat loss training. Why is our industry fuck this shit up so much? And like go two different approaches to these things. Explain this stuff. Andrew, I am convinced I'll spend the rest of my career trying to educate people on this and then not not succeeding. Yeah, I, you won't you I, won't win that. <laughs> I've been at this for probably eight straight years trying to get this method message across that the only thing that needs to change is your diet. Well, it depends on. So I have a girl competing in two days. She's she's four eleven. She weighs ninety six pounds. She weighed ninety six when she came to me. Uh, all the popular bodybuilding coaches would have given her cardio and starved her and gotten her shredded. I said, I think 96 pounds is a good weight for you. Let's just do progressive overload in your competition. She never dieted, never did cardio, and she looks amazing. She's going to compete in two days. She looks incredible. She never dieted, never did cardio. She did progressive overload. She just PR'd. She was who I trained right before this podcast, and I trained her yesterday. She said a PR on peak week. This is peak week. She PR'd on military press, chin-ups, hip thrusts, Nordic ham curls. She PR'd on everything this week, and she's going into it with the confidence, and she'll crush it. And no one even understands that that's a possible approach. You don't have to do cardio and starve yourself. You can recomp, but in general, it matters on how, how far you let yourself slide. You know, for me... I'm 252 pounds right now, and I've got some serious chunk on me. I have to get, if I want to get lean, I get dead five pounds. I got to lose 27 pounds. Okay, I don't have to start doing high reps and short rest periods and circuits and high-intensity interval training because that gets me away from strength training and putting tension on the muscles. You don't have to change your training at all. Now, I will say, like, the week before, if I'm, if I'm working with actual bodybuilders and bikini competitors and stuff who have to pose on stage, the week before the competition, I'm not going to go, I will go higher reps, because you don't want them hurting this. The worst thing would be to have to be on stage injured, and you're trying to flex your muscles and stuff hurts. But in general, you don't have to change the methods, because if you're training to build muscle and using this, these techniques for hypertrophy, these are the same techniques that are going to cause you to cause you to preserve muscle while you're dieting down. I mean, hypertrophy training, it should be hypertrophy training is also anti-catabolic training, you know? And so the the primary driver of muscle hypertrophy is tension on the muscles. So you can't get away from that. And so you can you can say will they burn a little more calories if they do the higher reps and the short rest periods and train and that way of training is so much harder, by the way. And how many calories do you end up, or how many additional calories do you end up burning? A hundred? You know? Is it a hundred extra calories? You could have addressed that in your diet. Um, and you just had, you know, now it may come into play if you got someone uh, who's under a thousand calories a day, a female, like a female competitor who's, you know, a hundred, a hundred pounds, a hundred ten pounds or something, and, and she's been doing it for a while then maybe you add in but you could just add in cardio you don't have to you don't have to do these crazy strength training methods and a lot of those times a lot of times those methods that people are employing do more they do more harm than good because if if they would have just done straight up you know three sets of eight or whatever and and tried to say okay when you diet down your chin-ups will go up you know (laughs) 
You'll set PRs on chin-ups, push-ups, bodyweight stuff, you know? Your Nordic ham curls will become amazing. You will lower yourself all the way to the ground. But your your absolute strength will, will diminish, like on bench press, squats, deadlifts, military press. That's bound to happen, but you strive to retain as much as possible of it. And if you did the three sets of eight or whatever, you would – and you said, okay, I'm going to try for this. Last week I got this. I'm going to try and tie that, but I've lost a pound. So that's still progressive overload. It's more relative strength. Instead, they'll abandon the three sets of eight and go, instead of doing military press, I'm going to do this delt circuit of ladder raise, front raise, rear deltlet, blaster, three sets of 20 in each direction with no rest, and they get this crazy burn, but they didn't necessarily – you let your strength go through the uh, out the window, and you're going to lose some muscle mass. And so, the way, the the second part of that quote was, uh, strength training is fat loss training. And I always say it like this: it's the most eloquent way I can explain it. You got two twins. Uh, they both weigh like they're both they both weigh 200 pounds. One of them does cardio his whole life. The other lifts weight his whole life. Who's going to be leaner? The guy who lives, he's going to have way more muscle and way less fat. The way cardio can help you get lean. It, it, a, a lot of it, I think, helps through appetite suppressant, not because it doesn't build your muscle mass. It only um, it only helps you burn calories, and you could have done that with diet alone. But uh, is it healthy to do cardio? Sure, but it's also healthy to lift weights. They're both good for your heart, and uh, I just think that people put way too much. You see the biggest problem. I work with so many competitors right now, probably a hundred of them. They're not a lot of them aren't aficionados of strength training. They don't. They're not true bodybuilders. Back in the day, the bodybuilders had their off season and their in season. They're bulking and they're cutting. They're always going for strength gains and trying to be stronger and fitter. They don't just say, ah, these six months I'm just going to get fat and not lift much. A lot of the competitors, it's like the only time they train hard is when they're competing for a competition, and then they just the second their competition's over, they put on 15 pounds the next week, and then they just keep gaining, and they, they don't even lift. They don't show up to the gym. They don't lift hard. And then they think it's like just, oh, train hard three months out of the year. That's not the way it works if you want to keep seeing improvements. But if you don't even bulk and cut, let's say you just I just stayed right at 230 pounds, trying to get stronger, a little bit stronger, a little bit fitter every year, you would get leaner each year. Um, that's what most of my clients, before I ever started working with competitors, I just worked with regular people. They'd recomp. I'd get a, a woman in there. She'd weigh 130 pounds. The next, the re- whole year, she weighs 130. I just tell her, you know, if they have a pretty healthy diet, I just say, keep eating the same way. I make sure they're getting at least 0.8 grams a pound, uh, a, a, a grams per pound of body weight per day. And then the rest is not too big of a deal. They eat the same way. They get way stronger throughout the year. They still weigh 130 at the end of the year. And they say to me, Brett, check this out. I just put on my jeans from last year. Oh, my God. And there's like a four-inch gap in the waist because they have reshifted their mass around. And they lost weight off the problem areas. They gained weight in the right areas. They look so different. They're way leaner. They're way curvier in all the right places. And they never changed weight. They never dieted. They never did cardio. They just strengthened. And their, their results are amazing. Um we screw up shit as young new trainers in the industry. There's plenty of things I've learned over the years, but that's one of the things I felt good about is I always seemed to have an understanding that strength training was fat loss training. And so that's, I've never done something different circuit based or anything along those lines for fat loss. I've always focused on strength. So it's, it's a point of pride to say, at least I got that part right early on. And it's something I've always done. I am running short on time. I know you two have tons of time. Um, but I wanted to make sure that for any of our listeners who you know haven't been following you, haven't uh, gotten into any of your work, that they can find you easily, both your website and your social media. So where can they get you? So just I mainly just Instagram now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Instagram.com slash Brett Contreras1. Um, if you don't know, if you can't remember my name, Brett Contreras, you could just type in the glute guy onto Google and you'll find my stuff. Um, I do want to start blogging more again. Um, but I have a newsletter that I only send out like once every month. I don't spam people. It's just the new stuff I'm doing. And yeah, that's generally where to find me. I, I, you got good stories. 
I do Instagram well. I'm on my story a lot, and I try to show my life and things like that. So it's really humorous. Really <laughs> So um, I always like to say this. So obviously with our listeners, uh, we have an existing base uh, of core listeners. And I'm really hopeful that most of them know who you are already. You're more high profile than virtually any of our other guests we've ever had. Whoa, you just cut um, everyone but, down, man. Well, <laughs> they need to accept this, you know. Yeah, they, you just, they, they have to do <laughs> Brett's, Brett's a, you're like a B list now. You're not an A, but like you're definitely not a C or D. If you have it, follow <laughs> Brett. His Instagram is a blast. It's fun. We described it earlier. And if you're someone who's been following Brett for a while and found us, this is the first episode you've listened to. Uh, we've been working really hard on creating something fun, original, different kind of questions. We've mentioned we've had So Healy. We've had Dr. Spencer Nadolsky a couple of times. We've had Dr. Mike Isertel. You mentioned James Krieger. He's done a couple of hours. We've gotten a lot of really cool people. Uh, we've got Nick Tuminello scheduled for a couple of weeks from now. And then Danny Sugar, she's the, one of the editors for T Nation. She's coming next week. So we take pride in bringing on some of the industry's absolute best and, and make it a really fun experience for them. So check out some of our other stuff if you really like it. You know, a five-star review or a share would do us wonders. And that way we can reach more people. Brett, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. I really appreciate this, brother. It's great You're to talk very to welcome. And just know that whenever I do podcasts, I always send out I, some people you do a podcast with them. They don't even promote it. And you're like, what the hell? This isn't a one-way street. Um, so I will send this out to my I'll post it on my Instagram story. I will send it out to my newsletter, and I wish you guys the best. This was well, a great. You got to beat. You got to try to beat Sohi's record. So he's been our, her episode is nine thousand uh, best nine thousand downloads. Really? Uh, yeah. So she's much prettier Spencer, than you, though. So like that I makes Paul, all. Holly <laughs> Baxter holds a second highest total. Spencer's way up there. He was really trying to catch them, but he didn't quite get there. I so, wonder why. Uh, we're we're going to. V-neck yeah, wasn't deep enough. And I. I I'm thinking about a, a graphic idea. Of course, you mentioned Inception, so I'm almost thinking of slapping your face on uh, Leo DiCaprio. Just pure scorched earth uh, of like intensity from you. So I'm almost picturing like McConaughey and Christian Bale. And I remember the movie Raid of Fire. So we'll come up with something for you. So we'll have a fun graphic for Instagram. Fuck. Dude, thank you so much. I, I want to run you guys chat, but... So, but great questions. I thank you guys for doing your homework and, and answering or asking the good questions. Yeah, man. Thank you, my friend. We'll be putting this one out in a week, so it'll be released uh, Thursday next week. That's our timetable for it. So thanks so much. Great talking to you. Hopefully I'll see you again at a conference in the not-too-distant future. And uh, you and I can record a, an intro after. Yeah. Uh, but i got to go for now. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down.